I hate bucket lists. I've always hated bucket lists. You know, you climb Kilimanjaro, you check it off. You, you go in a gondola in Venice, you check it off. What does that mean? You know, if I want to see the top of Kilimanjaro, I'll take a chopper. But what, you know, what does that really mean? So just completing activities is not rewarding. It's not about life. It's not about meaning. And if you don't believe that, as things open up and we travel again, and we go to Venice or Kilimanjaro or Kyoto or anywhere else, look at all the people with their noses stuck in their, in their iPhones, not seeing anything around them. It's the curse of the high achiever. You climb every ladder of success, get every external toy, have every experience in the world, and yet you can still find yourself feeling unfulfilled. How do we create a life with lasting meaning? This week, I'll interview author, consultant, and speaker, Alan Weiss. He's going to give us the metrics to create a life of meaning. What is an amplified life? It's having amplified relationships with people who support and encourage you to be your best. It's having amplified energy to conquer the challenges of the day. And it's having an amplified career, one that's meaningful to you, the world, and your bank account. I'm Dan Mason, Life Reinvention Coach, helping you discover your calling and create an amplified life on your terms. This is the Life Amplified Podcast. Jeff Bezos's garage startup shook up industries and eventually became one of the world's most innovative and influential companies. Colin Kaepernick sparked an awakening when he, by himself, knelt during the national anthem before a football game. It takes just one person to spark a movement, change minds, and create a legacy. However, most people think about legacy as something that they'll get around to or build toward the end of their life. Our guest this week is going to tell us legacy and meaning are what we create in every moment. Alan Weiss, PhD, is a consultant, speaker, and best-selling author, described by the New York Post as one of the most highly regarded independent consultants in America. His firm, Summit Consulting Group, has attracted such clients as Merck, Hewlett-Packard, GE, Mercedes-Benz, and more than 500 leading organizations. He's the author of more than 60 books, many of which have been included in university curricula and translated into 15 languages. His brand new book is available right now, Your Legacy is Now. Life is not a search for meaning from others, it's the creation of meaning for yourself. You can pick that up at his website, alanweiss.com. Some of the topics we're going to talk about in this interview today are the number one factor that can undo the personal lessons that we've all learned during the pandemic. He's going to give us the metrics that determine meanings in our lives and how to create metrics that make sense for us. We'll talk about the midlife crisis. What is it? And how is it the catalyst that drives us to search for meaning? We'll talk about why humility is overrated and can actually keep us stuck. That's a really fascinating conversation that I think will serve you. Alan will tell us why parents should isolate negatives and expand positives for their children and for themselves. We'll talk about competition, how it can be the fuel that moves you forward or keeps you stuck, and why accomplishing more tasks doesn't necessarily add meaning to your life. If you love the conversation, let us know that you're listening. You can screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram and Twitter. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can find Alan at Alan Weiss, PhD. This week, we're diving in headfirst and discussing the metrics that help us create a meaningful life. 
Thanks for being here on Life Amplified. Alan Weiss, welcome to Life Amplified, sir. Thank you, Dan. Happy to be here. Brand new book that is so timely right now. Nothing like your friendly neighborhood global pandemic blowing through to make us all step back and reassess, reevaluate our lives. 51% of people right now uh, have thought about their mortality over the last year. And that brings up this conversation of legacy, a conversation that usually starts with us thinking about what people are going to say at our funeral, <laughs> you know, this, this grand vision for what we're leaving behind, the obituary. You, in, in your new book, you lay out that that's not a helpful place for us to start. Explain why. Well, it's not helpful because it's not intelligent. I mean, the comparison I make is to the business community. If, if somebody wants to sell their business, they don't start to improve its valuation the week before they want to sell it, at least not if they're smart. You improve the valuation now every day. So you get more and more value from it. And when you're ready to sell it, it's worth a lot. Now with legacy, uh, you don't wait until the end of your life and say, well, let's see what I can create. The fact is every day there's a page written in each of our books. That's my metaphor. And sometimes that page is the same as yesterday. Sometimes it's blank. Sometimes it's poorly done. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's written by someone else. So my contention is that people think they should spend their lives searching for meaning. You should spend your life creating meaning, what it's, what's important to you and those around you. So hence, I wrote this book. You brought up a really interesting point because everybody, and I know you do coaching and consulting, I do coaching, everybody wants meaning. Most people are overwhelmed or get paralyzed about where to start. You mentioned something interesting that a lot of times those pages in our book are written by someone else. Is that the issue that we kind of get caught up in consuming our meaning through the values that were instilled into us or indoctrinated into us and we don't know who we are? Why is meaning, does it seem so elusive for people? Because we use the wrong metrics. We use other people's metrics. And so, you know, the kid comes home. And the parents say, that's a good mark on your test, but not as good as your sister used to get. Uh, You know, you win something and say, well, it wasn't a school record. And as you get into the workforce and as you get more and more mature, you know, I'm reading a biography of Tom Stoppard who had this great line, age is such a high price to pay for maturity. You know, I wish I had written that. As you get more mature, you find out that you've really been running your life according to what other people think and what other people believe and what other people want to do or can't do. You know, you find people who say, well, you're going skiing. Listen, you're not going to be able to do the the Blue Hills right away because you can't mask. Well, that's because that person couldn't, you know. So so the metrics are being applied. And what we have to do is give all that stuff up. And today we're inundated with metrics. We're inundated with the social platform crap, uh, you know, where everybody's got an opinion and very few of those opinions have any legitimacy. So that's why I'm saying the search for meaning is about creating, looking at somebody else's metrics, the creation of meaning is about creating your own metrics. When we talk about those metrics again, and maybe this goes to your point, you know, I think a lot of times we, there's the pressure that we either put on ourselves or maybe that was indoctrinated also, that this idea of legacy has to be something that changes the world. You've got to be Steve Jobs. You've got to be Bezos. You've got to be like one of these people. Some people, they look at their legacy as just their children, that they raise great kids who go on to contribute to society. What are the metrics that we should be looking at as you talk uh, uh, about building this idea of meaning and legacy? Should we be shooting for the moon? Is it okay just to maybe want to impact your family or your local community? What's the right answer or is there one? 
the right answer is, is what's right for you. You know, I have a phrase, T-I-A-A-B-B, which stands for there is always a bigger boat. And Paul Allen and the Sultan of Brunei got into these, you know, horrible arguments and competitions and really pissing contests about who has the bigger yacht and they put another 50 feet on it and so forth. That's a ridiculous way to live. I don't care how much money you have. So the point is your metrics are about what's important to you. Now, I will say this. I think metrics apply to certain parts of our lives we need to be aware of. They should apply to love. They should apply to family. They should apply to contribution. They should apply to uh, your uh, presence in the world. In other words, I don't think people have, have a right to absorb wealth without creating wealth. They don't have a right to absorb happiness without creating happiness. So consequently, your metrics can be very personal, but they have to do both with the internal uh, I'm not going to get highly stressed. Uh, I'm going to uh, use my smarts more to help people. And the external, you know, which is what you might want to do for the environment or for others with whom you interact. Has that been the gift of being in this lockdown that a lot of people have maybe reconnected from, or reoriented from the external markers of creating more wealth, creating more shareholder value? to now reorienting and thinking about God. You know, I've gotten all these things, but I haven't seen my wife or my kids in forever or that I've let my health go. Is, is, do you see in, in the work that you're doing that we've reoriented and gone within rather than looking externally? That's an interesting question. I'll tell you something. Uh, this is the longest. I have not been on an airplane since 1972. When I wow. this <laughs> okay, the longest I've been on an airplane in that amount of time. Uh, and what we're seeing is just what you described, but there's one big problem with it, and that is this. Human beings, and especially Americans, have a notoriously short attention span. And consequently, something that is very important to us, that consumes us, that drives our passions, that we're viscerally engaged in, uh, can disappear in, an, in a blink of an eye. And so Governor Cuomo is in great trouble today, deservedly so, but I don't see the Me Too movement anywhere very visible the social media protests have more or less abated. I'm not saying they won't come back and I'm not saying they're not legitimate issues. But what I am saying is logic makes us think, emotion makes us act. And emotionally, we go up and down. And so consequently, we might be up now emotionally, as you indicate, we've been home, we haven't killed our spouse, we've got lonely <laughs> kids, we've adopted three more dogs from the shelter. And, you know, we feel, God, this is worthwhile. You know, I'm connecting. The problem is that once... We are out of this tunnel, and I believe we are right now. I've been predicting this business boom since December, and we are in it right now. And the vaccinations are spreading, and all good things are out there. All good things. So the, the issue is that in another month, as things really open up across the country, and people go back to work, and they go back to recreation, and they, their COVID cabin fever is, is released, how much of this is really going to stick with them? Mm. That's my question. And, and I'm not betting on it. There's a lot of anxiety about that. I did a, a, a poll in my online community asking people, you know, we're heading toward mass reopening. What is your biggest source of anxiety moving forward? Is it because all you hear in the media is people thinking about the threat of contracting COVID in the workplace, you know, that a coworker is not vaccinated. But by a four to one margin in my community, the biggest concern and anxiety for people was losing the time and the freedom that they've created in their life you know, over the last year and having that autonomy and building a schedule that works for them. So to your point, I think that this is really going to be interesting. Like, how do we maintain it? How do we protect those boundaries? Or do we just go back to the quote unquote old way of life? Well, you have to understand too, that that's a very middle-class reaction. In other words, uh, there are people who live from hand to mouth and paycheck to paycheck who need to be at work. 
there are people who live in circumstances where they don't have several bedrooms and they don't have several bathrooms and they can't have an office to work from and do this and do that. And so if you have means and you have the kind of, of uh, support around you, it's one thing to say, I've really enjoyed my independence and I've really enjoyed you know, the freedom. Uh, however, even there, uh, there is a certain ennui, there's a certain boredom that's going to set in because uh, the people we're talking about, you know, with the exception of true entrepreneurs and people who founded their own business or solo practitioners, with those exceptions, people are herd animals. They're mm. pack animals. They need to be with other people beyond their family. So uh, I think it's all transitory. Uh, I do think, however, they'll be so absorbed in the business boom that's coming that uh, they're going to forget to make the proper transitions. It's going to be going, you know, it's going to be the, the hot shower to the cold outdoors. Uh, and there's going to be some trauma in that. And that's why I'm advocating in my book that people think about what should be the meaning in their own lives. And it's not pandemic related, you know, pandemic or no, what's the meaning in your life? I have a purpose statement that guides me every day. For me, it's, you know, the purpose of my life is to love myself, my higher power, and to feel the expansion that results from inspiring others to do the same. So when I sit down at the end of the day and I look at the things that I checked off the list, there's times where I'm like, yep, was in alignment. Then there's times when, you know, I was screwing around looking at NCAA tournament brackets like I did yesterday. And I'm like, well, maybe not so much in alignment, but that, that's the guiding force for my life. But there was a time in my life, you know, if I go back to 2012, man, I was just going through the motions. I had recreated my father's life and had no idea who I was, you know, climbed every ladder of success and got to the top. I was like, this isn't what I want. Well, you know, the highest levels professional suicide in the United States are psychologists and dentists. Mm. And the reason is most people, not many, most people enter psychology to work out their own problems. So you have self-selected sort of disturbed people going into psychology. For dentists, I think the problem is that a lot of them go into dentistry because their father or their mother was a dentist or they were told to go into it or they didn't want to become a doctor, but dentistry made sense, you know. And once you do that, no pun intended, you're rooted in the community. You can't pick up and move. You can't easily go out and then drive a truck or sell insurance or open a candy store. You're sure. a dentist. And if you have a low level of uh, patience and a low attention to detail and eight hours a day, you're looking at people's mouths and at molars. And yeah, that can drive you to drink easily. Is that the proverbial midlife crisis for people? Like when, you know, we, we do all the things we, you know, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, the, and I've seen this in my coaching practice, people who went and declared a major because their successful cousin who got a lot of attention did that major. And then they followed that or they followed in a parent's footsteps. Is that really what we're talking about at the end of the day when people hit that midlife crisis? Is it just the search for meaning and, and identity? I think it's that, but also something you said a little bit earlier. I've seen people with midlife crisis between 35 and 55 or 60, somewhere in there. And I think it's when people understand that they're mortal. You know, when you're in your 20s, you think you're going to live forever. And a lot of people in their 30s say, hey, this is good. I'm cool. But in your 40s, you begin to wonder a little bit. You have a few aches and pains and you can't quite do what you used to. You know, you're not going to be running the sprints anymore. And unless you're Tom Brady, you're not going to be on the athletic field. <laughs> so uh, and people start to realize, well, you know, there's limited time left here. You know, what am I accomplishing? And they get into a midlife crisis or what we call a midlife crisis because they're not quite sure what they should accomplish because, again, they're confronted with everyone else's metrics haven't created their own. One of the things that you talked about in the book that really that I like, there's this idea of talking the walk. 
and the idea that we that we operate under a humility hype. Another thing that's sort of ingrained from an early age that, well, we got to self-deprecate, we got to play down our gifts, our talents. How does that keep people from truly stepping into creating a legacy or, or a meaningful life? Well, I've pointed out to people that, you know, you, you walk the talk is fine, but talking the walk is equally important. They're reciprocal. The problem is that people don't really understand that humility is about honoring other people's talents, not degrading your own. Humility is not mm-hmm. being self-disparaging. I mean, I have never met anyone in my life who needed a, a surgery, who woke up and said, get me a humble surgeon. They want a surgeon who thinks he or she is God and can take care of any. Nobody wants a humble attorney in, in a court case. They want an attorney who's going to rip other people apart. I, I've never heard in my career somebody say, get me a humble consultant or a humble coach. They want people who are strong and can be directed. So consequently, humility is overrated. The hype of humility that you talk about is exactly correct. And, and we mistake humility for an empathy and an understanding. We mistake what it should be for some kind of self-debasement. And that's really bad. That resonates so much for me. I was recently speaking on a panel about work burnout, and I was the only person on the panel that wasn't a doctorate or a PhD. I mean, my background was in communications. I was in radio for 20 years. I was a musical theater major in college. I'm like, you know, I'm qualified education-wise to sing you a show tune or play Taylor Swift on the radio. And I sort of, at the beginning, as they introduced me on the panel, I had to make jokes about that. Like, because it, it was almost like playing down the level that I've helped people work through burnout or work through some of these issues because I was intimidated by the people that were there. And that, that's such a crutch. And in hindsight, I was like, why did I feel the need to do that? Like, I had the best content of anybody on the panel. I'm like, what, what the hell am I doing? But I almost feel, again, it's one of those things from an early age that if you really own your value and your gifts, you know, there are people who are like, oh, well, you're pompous, you're overconfident, you're cocky. Depends on what we were told, you know? Depends yeah. on you your kids. You should isolate negatives and generalize positives. So when your kid comes home, uh, you know, and had a problem with the game they played. And you don't say, boy, you're really awkward out there. You say, that was a tough kick. Nobody could have made it. When they come home with a history test, uh, that's a great grade. You don't say you got lucky. You say you've turned into quite a scholar. And so we have to, this is the whole emphasis on pop psychology, actually positive psychology over the past 10 years. We need to isolate negatives so they don't infect us contagiously. And we need to um, extrapolate. We need to expand positives. So we're kinder to ourselves. And that's the way we should treat our kids and treat others. On the flip side of this idea, sort of like the the denigration or the false humility, there's another concept that you talk about, which is competitiveness, which also very much resonated for me as well. I mean, I've I've just sort of accepted that at this age in my life, I'm always going to be a hyper competitive guy. You say that that can be the fuel for us to find meaning. It can also be, and competitiveness can also be a destructive force is we're building a legacy. Explain more about that. What's the difference and how do we know that that striving nature that so many of us have is being misdirected or misused? Well, you have to understand what you're trying to achieve and what means what. Years ago at the Olympics, many years ago, Harvard's rowing team came in eighth, last. They interviewed the Harvard coach. They said, how do you feel? He said, there's nothing wrong with being the eighth best rowing team in the world. You've got to understand that. So we have to want, we have to put pr- uh, perspective on things and proportion on things. Uh, right now, 
I would make a case, I think most people would, that everyone deserves a fair starting point and that everyone deserves a level playing field. But no one deserves an equal finish point. And there's a difference between equality and equity. And so equality is giving equal opportunity, but equity should mean that the most talent outs, the most talent wins. Now, my son was in musical theater too, and, and my daughter's in the art. She's a showrunner. And what I've seen in both of them is that in show business, talent doesn't always out. It's the time of day. It's who you know. It's who's doing the casting. And it's the, the phase of the moon. And so sometimes the most talented person doesn't get the part. And if you can't take that in that profession, you don't belong in that profession. In other pursuits, you know, if you're running down the track 100 meters, the fastest person that day at that time is going to win. But it's that day, that time. So there's no such thing as winning all the time. And there's no such thing as losing all the time, which you have to have some perspective and say, am I happy? Am I pleased? Am I contributing? Am I reinforced? Uh, instead of worrying about what other people are doing. You know, there's an old phrase, when you run down the track, if you look over your shoulder, you're going to lose uh, because it disturbs your stride. There was a uh, meme about that too, a few years ago at the Olympics with Michael Phelps. You know, he's on the verge of reaching out in the pool for the gold medal. And you see the silver medalist in the lane next to him, looking over at Michael Phelps while he's looking. Well, he's reaching <laughs> He's looking straight ahead. I was like, man, if that isn't, you know, like a perfect example of what you're sharing right there. Well, you know, in the book, I have a cartoon and my dog has walked up a mountain to a dog guru and the dog guru is saying to him, it's not in how you bring the stick back. It's in the act of the throwing. (laughs) (laughs) As we think about this overall, then the search for meaning, there's a lot of people and and look, the self-help industry has sort of perpetuated this. There's a lot of people who are you know, going out to Costa Rica on an ayahuasca retreat with a shaman. And, and for them, that's a path. There's people that have been going to the same Tony Robbins seminar, you know, doing Unleash the Power Within, which is a great seminar, but they've done it, you know, twice a year for the past 15 years. And then power still isn't unleashed. <laughs> for the person today who's been maybe a seeker, but they feel like they've never really arrived. What's the first step that's going to help them go internal, maybe rather than seeking answers from a guru or an expert, where do they start? I'll I'll give you the exercise I give all of my top coaching clients. I ask them this question, a year from now, who do you want to be? And 99% of them tell me what they want to be doing. And I have to say to them, that's not what I asked you. I want you to tell me who you want to be. And they have to struggle with that. And then I say, who are you now? And what will it take to turn who you are now into who you want to be? Uh, And those questions, those very existential kinds of questions are important because it's all internally focused. I want to be someone who's contributing to this. I want to be someone known for that. I want to be somebody supporting this. Fine. And how are you doing today? And let's talk about that. There are no right and wrong answers. There's no judgment here. So that's my initial response. Uh, But, you know, when you said before, there's healthy competition and unhealthy competition. Uh, You have to understand if you're racing down the track, what are you racing against? Sure. What I'm hearing you sort of say there is it's also, it's not a discussion of goals per se. It's a a discussion of identity and becoming the person who can get there. I hate bucket lists. I've always hated bucket lists. You know, you climb Kilimanjaro, you check it off. You you go in a gondola in Venice, you check it off. What does that mean? You know, if I want to see the top of Kilimanjaro, I'll take a chopper. But what, what does that really mean? So just completing activities is not rewarding. It's not about life. It's not about meaning. And if you don't believe that, as things open up and we travel again and we go to Venice or Kilimanjaro or Kyoto or anywhere else, 
look at all the people with their noses stuck in their in their iPhones, not seeing anything around them. Totally. Alan, if people go out and they pick up the book here, as we, it's available right now. Your legacy is now life is not a search for meaning from others. It's the creation of meaning for yourself. What's the one thing that you want people to, to take away from the book if there is one key talking point? Uh, this day isn't coming again. I don't care how old you are or who you are or what you do or where you came from. This day isn't coming again. So at the end of the day, when you write down metaphorically the page in the book, make sure it's yours and make sure it's original. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. Love the book. I'm about two thirds of the way through it. Looking forward to finishing it. And our listeners can pick it up now. They do that on your website, on Amazon. Where can they get it? You can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. My website is alanweiss.com, A-L-A-N-W-E-I-S-S.com. And there's all kinds of free additional materials there. And where can people find you on social media if they want to link up? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I accept anybody who wants to wants to come i'm happy to do it i have a podcast every week the uncomfortable truth and i have four or five newsletters again free you can sign up for on my um, website including monday morning memo appreciate your time awesome interview and uh, all the best to you with the book thank you so much thank you dan I, i really appreciate it And of course, the book is Your Legacy Is Now. Life is not a search for meaning for mothers. It's the creation of meaning for yourself. You can pick it up on Amazon or at alanweiss.com. Loved what he shared uh, uh, about the Mount Kilimanjaro analogy and how so many of us, and I've done this in my own life. There are times I can still get caught up in my BS and do it now where we're just doing it all for the gram, right? We're, We're experiencing life through a cell phone screen rather than being fully present and engaged with the world around us. Also really love that conversation about humility and why that self-deprecation actually just keeps us stuck, that we're not here to minimize or downplay our gifts or talents. And I know that, you know, that's another place that's very relevant for me in my life. Would love to know what your aha moments and takeaways were. You can screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram, tag me at CSC, Dan Mason. You can find Alan at Alan Weiss, PhD. Be sure to let us know what your big aha moment was. And if you're a person who has reflected during the pandemic, you've had some new insights about your own values and what is going to be meaningful for you in the second chapter of your life, but you don't want to fall back into the old habits and the old way of living like we discussed on the podcast, now would be a great time to get some support to help you move forward, to take this new vision and actually make it real on earth. I have spots available right now for one-on-one VIP coaching. Also have some spots available to join us in the Amplified Monthly Coaching Membership. That is an amazing community of people. We meet monthly for awesome trainings and ongoing Q&A support. You can find all the details and apply for both by going to my website, Creative Soul Coaching. If you're new to the podcast, please give us a follow on the iHeartRadio app. Click subscribe on Apple. And if you're moved to do so, those five-star ratings and reviews always mean the world. And it helps us with the algorithm. I'll talk to you next week. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity. Turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.